Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards Podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5pm, at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His Kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So today we're going to jump into the third one, and we're going to look at Mark 1.1, which all of us know, so this is, should be no, not new to anybody, but it reads this. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So a little word study for us, because that's what we need after a good sausage. Good news in Greek. Now this has always been hard for me to pronounce. So the brackets under there is to help me, and hopefully it might help you. But it's euangelion is how you might pronounce that, right? Now, you may have heard it used alongside the gospel. So if you were to open your translation of Mark 1.1, it might say something like this. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So the word gospel or good news helps to actually develop an idea um, in the New Testament, but it's also seen in the Old Testament. So if we start in the New Testament, euangelion is used over 33 times. And the word sums up this idea. If someone arrived at your doorstep and brought you a gospel or they brought you good news, It simply meant that there was a change of fortune that had happened or was occurring, right? Now, a New Testament example is Caesar Augustus. Everyone knows Caesar Augustus? Heard of them? No? Okay, that's fine. Became a Caesar of Rome, all right, for those who need to put it somewhere. When he was appointed as the ruler of Rome, there is a Roman inscription that says this. Caesar Augustus is a saviour who ends wars and strife, right? Now, if you were living in the context where you were living in a war zone or in strife, this would be good news, right? So, if it was written in the same way that Mark wrote it, this is what it would say. This is the beginning of of the good news of Caesar Augustus, the climax of Roman hope. Okay? So this is not in the Bible. (laughs) So (laughs) you won't find it in there. Okay? But what I'm saying here is that Mark's language is common language used in his time. Right? Now, many of us today, when we talk about gospel or we talk about the good news, we actually attribute it to a religious term don't we? Right? Because we don't really use it in anywhere else in our culture so much. But in the New Testament setting, it was more commonly associated with the use of good fortune, the change of fortune towards good, right? Now, if we have a look in the Old Testament, we will also see that another word shares the similar theme. This one, this is 
Tonight's going to test out my Hebrew, okay? If you find good news written in Hebrew, it's uh, those three characters there, okay? <laughs> How'd you like that? Okay, so it's, it's actually bor-sar, and essentially it means to bear tidings, okay? Now, if you've sung any Christmas carols in your life, you're going to, tidings is going to be a word you heard of, okay? Essentially, it means to bring good news, right? Now, both of these words reveal to us that good is reaching the ears of the listeners, right? Now, this news will change those who hear it or has already changed their life in some manner for the good, right? So for Mark to say this is the beginning of the good news or this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, we should pause a moment and we should consider. Will this news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, changed my life, right? If a son of God has come to the earth, then what does this mean for me? And what does it mean for you? And what does it mean to my friends? What does it mean to the world? So this is a question we ask because the original hearers were hearing something that we're not necessarily hearing when we hear it. Okay, now there's a lot of here's in there. So what I want to do is I want to jump into the Old Testament. You know that part of the book that's got dust on it for most of us? And we're going to do a little case study. We're going to have a look so that we get a really good and deeper understanding of what it is to hear about this good news. Now in the second section of the book of Isaiah. Everyone heard of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah? Right? Okay. We see that Isaiah writes about good news. Now, many of us know that Isaiah was a prophet of God, but did anyone know how many sons Isaiah had? No? Clearly had a wife if he had two sons. Right? So he's, had, he's married, he's had two sons. Any idea how long his life, how many kings he served under in his life? No? So not, not really well known, is he? Right? We know of the book of Isaiah, but we don't really know about the person of Isaiah. Four kings. And he prophesied and he lived through the time where the Assyrians had taken over Israel. Now, we're going to do a little study on that so that this all makes sense. So when we consider Isaiah's words, we need to consider something. He was a man who was seeking to serve God, right? He was responsible for the health and the well-being of his wife and his two sons, right? He also carried the responsibility of speaking God's word to people. So pretty serious task. And he was trying to do that in a time where there was extremely high political tension and that his country was essentially at war, right? 
So for those of us who are married and have children and trying to do the best at our jobs, well, that's, that's a huge effort, right? And then to do that under high stress and in a war situation, it's pretty serious, right? So he doesn't speak these things with nothing to lose. He actually speaks them with everything to lose, right? So a little bit of history for us, those who can see the map. Everyone see the map? There's two up there in case you were wondering. This one here, this is the United Kingdom of Israel, okay? Not the United Kingdom as we know today in England. The United Kingdom of Israel around the time of Saul and David, all right? It looked fairly similar for Solomon as well, but this is the blue one, the united part. Now, the map on the other side, did you know that there were 12 tribes that lived in that United Kingdom of Israel? So, Saul, David and Solomon, they ruled over this part of the country and these 12 tribes, right? Everyone on board with that? Okay. Now, this one here is the same kingdom. It's got a red line through the middle. The kingdom of Israel, the united kingdom of Israel, had a split Okay, it's not like Brexit, for those who are wondering. Had a split after Solomon dies, all right? It's around 930 BCE. And then two kingdoms are formed, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, okay? So when we talk about Israel as a nation now, it looks nothing like this then, okay? This is really important we get our heads around this bit, otherwise... When Isaiah says Jerusalem and Judah, we don't really know what he means by that. Okay. Now, Jerusalem, it's a bit hard to see. Jerusalem is in the bottom. It's in the kingdom of Judah, just below the red line there on the star. Okay. Jude, can you see that okay? All right. So, Jerusalem was in the kingdom of Judah, was not in the kingdom of Israel. All right? Any guess on how many tribes lived above the red line? Ten. Ten. Well done. That means there were two left in the south, right? So if we consider the kingdom of Israel and Judah and we understand them like this, the prophet Isaiah was living at the time when the Assyrian Empire, so you can see up in the top corner there, the Assyrian Empire, they actually invade the blue part on the map. And over a period of 20 or 25 years, they actually march 10 of those tribes out of that space, right, in some way or another. So just imagine that you are Isaiah for a moment and you're watching your nation, if we were to use an example, watching in Australia, essentially the only state that is not occupied would be Tasmania, <laughs> right? The top of Australia is done, becomes something else, right? What would your response be to watching 
the rest of the states of Australia now get moved into exile, right? Now remember that this was the promised land to the nation of Israel, right? The United Kingdom of Israel. So the question that we have to ask ourselves here is, well, why did this happen? And what's this got to do with good news? Right. So if we read Isaiah, the kingdom of Israel, the top part, the northern part, was invaded because the king, King Ahaz, he served idols instead of Yahweh. Right. Now anyone who's had kids knows that you give your children many chances. Over and over and over, you repeat yourself, repeat yourself, repeat yourself, repeat yourself, repeat yourself, repeat yourself, right? All of the Old Testament is God repeating the same thing. Serve only Yahweh, right? Have no other gods before me. Well, this guy here, King Ahaz, he has a brain fart and forgets all about that. And he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve the idols of the Assyrian Empire. Now, just remember that the kingdom of Israel, the blue part, has not fallen yet. And he decides, I'm going to start to serve the gods that exist outside my kingdom. Now, what happens here is that he openly invites the idols of another nation to rule that in which he was given to rule. Okay, so I'm going to unpack that a moment. The idols of the Assyrian Empire start to rule the kingdom of Israel. So you might wonder, well, how do idols rule the land? It's a good question to ask. But the idols rule through people. So just as the kingdom of God came through Jesus, who was a man who was empowered by the Holy Spirit, the same works exactly the same for the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness holds its power through the empower the empowering of the whole of sorry of the human being. So when we consider this, if you read the stories of antiquity, which basically means history, the king of the nation was considered the God incarnate. Okay? So the king became a son of their God. Right? So Pharaoh was considered born of the gods. The Assyrian kings were considered the God incarnate over the empire. Now what's interesting here is that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us some really good insights into this when he says, we, now he's speaking to Jesus' people, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but the principalities and the powers that empower them. Right? In verse 18, Paul says, so now pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Okay? So when King Ahaz, remember who was a Jewish king, when he worshipped idols, he welcomed the empowerment of those idols, those spirits. 
to come upon him. So in short, the northern kingdom gets sent into exile, which essentially means a disconnection from God because the idols became rulers and they ruled over their incarnate representative, the king. So there's a theological point here, which is what we serve and what we worship will eventually take over our life. It will eventually rule us. No person seems to be exempt from this. Here's the case study to show you the example. If we don't believe Paul then we can read 1 Chronicles, right, which I'm sure we've all read this week. So imagine if you lived in the northern kingdom and you flipped open your iPad or your newspaper, which very clearly they didn't have, but you read this, the spirit of Paul King, the Assyria, and the spirit of Tiglath, Pils, can't read that one, of Assyria, has taken parts of the northern kingdom of Israel into exile. What that's saying there is that demonic powers have now taken over a region that belongs to Yahweh. Right? Through Israel's appointed king. It's bad news. It's not good news. It's really bad news. Now I want to note here that we need to have a look at the spirit of. So when Paul says pray in the spirit on all occasions, right? he knows that as human beings we are driven, influenced, manoeuvred by the spirit in which we worship. Now, it took these two kings 20 or so years of slowly infiltrating into the northern kingdom to take it. And then finally, the area of Samaria falls about 20, 25 years later. But the whole northern region is taken right, as a result of one king's service of idols. Ten tribes into exile. So back to Isaiah. Isaiah, he was a prophet who was sent to the southern kingdom. And why this matters is because Isaiah is writing in a situation to the people who are getting pounded now. Right? There was a disagreement between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom about taxes and a bunch of other things. And there were small wars that would take out between them. But now the game's changed. Their enemies actually own. So if you live in Judah down the bottom, uh, your enemies now own what your other ten tribes used to own. Okay, So you don't really have anywhere to go. Have you noticed on the map? Can't pop out to the sea because someone belongs there. Can't go to the east because someone's there. If you go south, someone's there. If you go north, well, it's all bad news. 
So Isaiah is writing in a situation where it's pretty well death all around, right? It's bad news. But when we read Isaiah 52, Isaiah proclaims something very interesting. He actually proclaims them good news. Now remember, good news is a change of fortunes, okay? That's the meaning of the good news. So we've all read this. So we will know it. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings. There you go. Christmas carol. Who proclaim salvation, a way to Zion. Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs for joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm inside of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of of our God. Now, is Isaiah's proclamation here is that there's a covenant that God made that he's about to keep, right? Even though Judah hadn't kept it and the northern kingdom certainly didn't keep it, the nation of Israel was still in the central of the Lord's eye. So even though destruction and pressure and seemingly death is encamped all around them, Isaiah rolls up with this newspaper with the headlines, good news is here, right? (laughs) The Lord's bringing peace. He's bringing comfort, joy, redemption and salvation. Now we know when we read on in Scripture that the Lord halts the attacks of the Assyrians on Jerusalem, right? And those in exile are later allowed to return and rebuild parts of their nation. And they do so with the favour of the Assyrian king, right? Not the three that took it, but the one that comes after it. So the Lord started the process of turning things around. The good news was shifting. But what we know about the nation of Israel, is that empires fall and then they get taken over by another one, another one rises. And so if we pull up right at the time of Jesus, the question in Israel was still this. Did Israel get all that God promised through Isaiah? Right? Had the good news come? Was this the good news? And in some ways they knew it wasn't, but not much had changed. I was reading one writer who said that there was a group of people who said Isaiah got it wrong, completely wrong, right? And so they'd put him on the outer as a, as a lesser prophet than the others. That's a pretty big call. But if you read on in the book of Isaiah, we come to this verse, Isaiah 61.1. Now, we all know this one again. 
But it says this. This is Isaiah writing. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. So who do we know fulfilled the prophecy? Do you think if you read this in Isaiah's time, you'd be excited for that person turning up? Does this change a sick person's condition if this person arrives? So in Luke 4, we see that Jesus stands up in a synagogue and he's handed a scroll. He opens it and he reads out. And Jesus says, now I want you to notice the first lines. The Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Not the Spirit of Assyrian kings. Not the Spirit of Roman empires. The Spirit of the living God. The Lord. Yahweh is what he's saying. Is upon me. The Spirit of God Israel's true God is upon me. Now think of everyone in the room who's read Isaiah, who knows Isaiah very well, for those who believed Isaiah, that is. (laughs) Right? Jesus is making a huge claim here. He's saying, I'm God incarnate in the context of the other kings. Right? Pharaoh, God's son. The Assyrian kings, right? This is a big claim. Jesus is saying, this is, I'm the dude that Isaiah prophesied about. And Jesus goes on to say here, I am the one who brings the eulangelion, right? I'm the one who brings the borsor to the sick and to the poor and the brokenhearted to the prisoners. I do not come in the spirit of war, of famine, of control, but I come in peace, salvation, and in comfort. Imagine reading that on the front page. It's a change of fortune that Jesus is declaring here. And just imagine, for those who have studied Scripture their whole life, the Old Testament, they knew exactly what this was. (laughs) They knew exactly what this meant. These were huge claims. So for those here in that moment, listening and hearing, they were hearing this. The God of Zion had come and stands right in front of me. God's representative of peace is standing right in front of me. God's salvation is standing right in front of me. God's comfort is standing right in front of me. The one who is going to free our nation and our people from the power of empire, the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire, now the Roman Empire, that dude is here in front of us. God has finally sent his Messiah King. and He's going to turn the nation around. 
this has got to be good fortune for those listening, right? So what does it mean for you and I when we hear, when we read Mark 1, this is the beginning, right? This is the beginning. This is the start of the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is changing fortunes. Now, you'll remember too that Jesus went and got baptised and he comes up out of the water and we notice the writers write that God's Spirit came upon him and did not leave him. And what that means is that everything Jesus did and everything that Jesus declared was done in the spirit of Yahweh, God the Father. When other kings came in the spirit of demonic gods, Jesus came in the spirit of the true living God. So how does this apply to us today? Well, Jesus says something really interesting to his disciples. And he says it to them after his resurrection. Okay, so for those who are new to the story, Jesus lived, he healed many people, raised people from the dead, went to the cross, okay, and he was risen on the third day. So this was after his resurrection. Now, anyone who comes back from the dead, they have my attention. All right? Anybody. I've never seen anyone come back from the dead, but they would have my attention. This is what Jesus says, peace be with you. John 20, 21. Peace be with you. Not war, not famine, not strife. Peace, he says. Okay. The Messiah King comes and his first words to his disciples are peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. In what? In peace. And with that, he did something strange. He breathed on them and he said, receive the spirit of the kings of Assyria. Is that what he said? No. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is the good news for us. No matter who's ruling over your nation or over your state, good news has already come. No matter if you are surrounded by wars or afflictions, no matter if you yourself and your family are in exile, no matter your condition, whether you are sick, whether you are lost, whether you are brokenhearted, whether you are afflicted, whether you are imprisoned, the good news of Jesus is that the spirit of the living God has come in Jesus and he breathes it upon us. And he says, receive the good news that the Spirit 
has come. It turns out that Jesus is the salvation not only for Israel but for us. Right? But it's also for your family and your friends. It's for your work colleagues. Now, let me just give you a little small piece of advice. If you're going to breathe on your work colleagues, at least get a mint first. Okay? But Jesus has changed the fortune of my life. Now imagine Isaiah sitting back thinking, when I got the prophecy, I didn't think that was going to happen. That got a bit out of hand, God. (laughs) Right? But what Isaiah was doing was he was declaring good news not only to the people, but what he was saying was principalities and powers, you currently rule and reign where you are not welcome to. And the day is coming when Jesus is going to take back all that belongs to Yahweh. And friends, that's you and me. We're included in that. Jesus didn't just save us so that we can go to heaven. Although that's a bonus. He actually says, here's my peace. Receive my Holy Spirit. That's the good news. And we're to live out of that. So my final words are these. Whatever you worship will become you. 